Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message, and I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. One thing that I really appreciate is passion. I love people who are loyal and passionate and really devoted. And, you know, in the sports world, there's a lot of crazy, passionate fans. Tried to find some pictures of a few of them. I decided to leave out Alabama and Auburn. It's just too soon for some of that. And I tried to find some Michigan and Washington fans that were pretty crazy and passionate, but apparently they don't exist on the Internet, even though they're playing tomorrow night. So here's some pictures that I found of some crazy fans. That's the top of a guy's head, in case you are wondering. Uh, That was pretty wild. This is one that has really caught me, and I don't know what to do with this, because these fans right here, imagine you go to the game, you scream your head off, and you're on your way back, and your wife calls you and says, hey, can you stop by the store and get some milk? We're out of milk. I guess you're all in. I guess there's nothing to stop you from going into the store after you've been in a crowd of 70,000 people. Uh, Who's going to judge? This last one, I'm not sure. This might be Jeff Braley. I'm not really sure. He is a big Bengals fan. I just, as I saw that, I couldn't help but think that might be Jeff. I don't know if he's watching the the security right now, but we'll uh, have some fun with him later. So I love, I love passionate People. Passion is a really good thing because when you're passionate, you're driven, you're, you're pressing forward, you're excited about something. You think about a marriage that has no passion. It's just kind of stale, isn't it? It's just two people living together as roommates. You think about a person who goes to work every day and they have no passion for their job. In the clock, waiting to get off, waiting for the weekend. You think about a Christian that has no passion. That's what the Bible calls lukewarm. You think about a church that has no passion. It's a church that's in the very long process of dying. And so this year, what we want to focus on as a church family, every year we come out with some type of theme. And over the last several months, we've put some time into thinking, what do we need to focus on as a church? We're a church that's in a season of growth, which we give all glory to for, but how can we continue to grow as a church family? How can we continue to see lives that are being changed? What do we need to focus on first and foremost as a collective body of believers? And the word that just kept coming back is the word devoted. We read it in Acts chapter 2 that Mason read for us, and we're going to spend some time this morning thinking about that Acts 2 church. But let's start with the word devotion. What comes to mind when you think of the word devotion? Well, I wrote down a couple of words. One word that comes to my mind is commitment, passion. We've already talked about that. The word fire comes out to me, loyalty, enthusiasm. When you see somebody who's passionate, they're just really excited about something. And here's the reality. You're going to be devoted to someone or something. Now, hopefully your devotion is to God first and foremost. But there's also other things that are competing for your devotion. It could be family. And and it's not bad to be devoted to family, but when our ultimate devotion is to family, well, they can't deliver like God can. Or maybe your ultimate devotion, if you're not careful, can be work. It can be very time demanding. And maybe it's something that you're really passionate about and you're excited about what you do. 
Or it could be sports or a hobby. It could even be a screen, a phone, a video game. It could be the approval of other people. Your ultimate devotion could be in a relationship or in a friendship. You're going to be devoted to someone or something. And what happens when you're devoted to someone or something, what happens when you're passionate is that you go all in, don't you? Your heart's all in it, you're excited, you're enthusiastic, you talk about it all the time. You spend a lot of your mental energy focused on that, thinking about that, and it just sort of consumes your life when you are truly passionate about something, completely devoted. Well, what Mason read to us is a really interesting text because of what's been going on leading up to Acts 2. I want us to think about this morning, what would it have been like if you and I had been living during that time? Just take your mind back for whatever you understand about what's going on in the world at that time. You've grown up and you're living in and around Jerusalem and there's this guy named Jesus who everybody's talking about and finally you get the opportunity to hear him teach and you join this massive crowd and he's teaching about the word of God in ways that you've never heard. It's so easily understandable, almost like he wrote it himself. He understands it so well. And then you were in the crowd on the day when he took those five loaves of bread and two fish, and it's a crowd of thousands, a massive crowd of people. And yet they keep bringing food around, and it looks like the people that are serving the food are just as amazed as the ones that are receiving it because the food never runs out, and you eat until you're filled. And then you were one of the ones who was blessed enough to be in need of a miracle from Jesus himself. And he healed you. And you were in the city on that day that they arrested him. You didn't really understand why, because he seems like a really good guy. You haven't heard that he's really done anything wrong. And they put him on trial. You're in the crowd, and you don't think he's deserving of death, but everybody around you is just shouting, crucify him, crucify him. It's just this angry mob of people. And so they lead him off, and you kind of follow at a distance. After a little while, you see him placed on that cross for all the world to see. And you watched him die. And then just a couple of days later, rumors start spreading that something happened. He's not dead anymore. You can't explain it. You have no idea how to explain it until you see him with your own eyes. And there he is. It's Jesus. And you're in the crowd in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, just a couple of weeks later. You've gone back to Jerusalem because it's another great festival. And this time, you're going to celebrate the harvest, and you're going to celebrate when God gave the Israelites the law through Moses. Except this time it's a little bit different because Peter and the other apostles stand up, and before they had been scared because their leader had been killed, but now they're full of faith. And they're languages they've never understood or studied before so that everybody there can understand in their own dialect and you hear their message and you start to piece things together through Peter's lesson and you go you know what I think this guy Jesus just might be the Messiah and so the opportunity comes to give your life to Jesus you and 3,000 other people respond that day and you're baptized into Christ and you're excited about this new life in Christ, you know it's going to have some challenges. You have no clue what to expect until all of a sudden you find yourself surrounded by other people who've made the same decision. And it's exciting. It's new. Nobody really knows what to do. You're just trusting the apostles and what they're teaching you. And they're constantly teaching about the Word of God. 
And they're telling about how all of these Old Testament stories were pointing to Jesus. And you're gathered together in these faith-filled communities called churches. And you're worshiping and you're singing and you're talking about what Jesus has done in your life. And you're so excited. What it must have been like to have been there during that time. Breathtaking, invigorating, people totally on fire for the Lord. One author described the Acts 2 church like this, thriving under Roman rule, unstoppable by corrupted powers, undeniable to others, irresistible to outsiders, reputable in neighborhoods, doctrinally sound, passionately devoted, relationally committed, radically generous, powerful and persistent in prayer, growing deeper and wider daily. Luke records for us in Acts 2 that there were four primary things that this church was devoted to. The first one is that they were devoted to the word. They were guided by the word of God and they had a challenge that we don't have. We have the full completed Bible. We have all books over a period uh, of a couple thousand years that have been scrutinized and put under the microscope to find out is this truly inspired text in scripture from God. And at that time, all they had was the first 39 in your Bible. They had what we call the Old Testament. That was their Bible. So when it says they were devoted to the word, that's what they were devoted to. They were devoted to understanding it and going back to it and reading the Psalms and reading uh, Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy and looking through and seeing how does all this tie to Jesus? Jesus said it's all about him. And they were so excited to see things they had never seen before. They'd grown up their entire life learning these texts of scripture, yet they had never seen Jesus before. And now they're hearing about him being taught. They're living out these very letters that are going to make up the rest of our Bible. They're trusting in the word. They're trying to do what it says. And they're encouraging one another. They're spending crazy amounts of time thinking about, talking about, reading through the word of God. They were devoted to the word. The second thing Luke tells us is they were devoted to the fellowship. And no, this is not a meal. And it just happens to be that in a minute, we're going to, in a few minutes, I shouldn't say in a minute, I shouldn't get your hopes up. In a couple of minutes, in a little while, maybe that's more likely, in a little while, we're going to share a meal together. And we call that a fellowship meal. What they were devoted to was not a meal. We'll talk about that in a second. They were devoted to one another. That's what this phrase means. They were devoted to the fellowship. It means they were devoted to one another. In fact, Luke tells us, as you read along in the story, that there were people who were in need and and the Christians there were just selling plots of land and they were selling possessions to give to people who were needy because they recognized that they were family. And what do you do when a family member's in need? Well, you help meet their need. You take whatever you have and you give it because that's what family does. And they're living with radical generosity. They were also devoted to the table. Now, in the text, it's going to say to the breaking of bread. And I've just rephrased this to the table because there's two aspects of the table that they were devoted to. Number one was to communion. And can you just imagine what it must have been like in those first couple of weeks and months and maybe even first couple of years after Jesus had ascended back into heaven in the infancy of the church when they gathered together to break bread and they gathered around the table there's the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. And they took the bread. And somebody said, you know what? I remember when Jesus broke bread in front of my own eyes. 
blessed and gave thanks. And somebody else said, I remember seeing him hanging on the cross, blood flowing down, given for me and for you. You know, I remember this was a crazy moment. I remember we were all in a funeral procession and it was a devastating moment. This mother who had already lost her husband and now has lost her son. And we're all filled with grief for her until Jesus stopped the funeral. He raised the young boy from the dead. You know, I remember being in the crowd that day. We were at the tomb at Lazarus and we were all weeping and grieving for this family that we love. And Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine the stories that we read about? They lived out and it was very real. There was no such thing as going through the motions. There was no such thing as just the routine of communion because it was about a real person. It was about somebody that they looked at with their own eyes. It was about a real sacrifice. And for us, it's the same. It's not just a story we read about in a book. Very real situation of a very real Savior who did everything we read about in the scriptures and who has done things in our own lives that in some situations are unexplainable. And so if communion has become routine for you, you need to renew your devotion to the table because there's nothing routine about a and who has given everything, shed their own blood for you. They were devoted to the table. Not only to communion, but to sharing meals with one another. Because there's something sacred about it. It's a theme that runs all throughout the scriptures of sharing meals with one another. It's a beautiful moment of looking across the table and saying, you're my family. I accept you for you. I'm not asking you to become just like me. I'm asking you to fit in. I'm asking you to be created you to be. And we'll receive you as family because you're loved and you're welcome. They were devoted to the table. They welcomed new members to the table. It's a beautiful thing. Finally, it says they were devoted to prayer. Acts chapter 3, it tells us a story about Peter who's been arrested, he's been thrown into jail. The church gathers together to pray, and they're praying. It doesn't tell us what they prayed. We're going to assume that they prayed for God to get him out of jail because what happens? An angel shows up, breaks Peter out of jail, leads Peter back to where the church is praying. And he knocks on the gate, and this little girl comes out, and she can't believe it's Peter. She thinks it's a ghost, and she runs back in. She's so shocked that God had answered their prayers. And then in the very next chapter, it tells us that other of the leaders, Peter and John, had been arrested again. And they had been threatened and they had been let go and they go back to the church and they gather together to pray. And they prayed not for God to take away the suffering. They didn't pray for God to make life easier. They prayed for more boldness. And as they prayed for more boldness, it says the place where they were praying was shaken. Literally shaken and God filled every one of them with the Holy Spirit and granted them more boldness. This was a praying church. So back in the 1790s, there's this movement that began called the Restoration Movement. It primarily led by two leaders that have been recognized, though others certainly influence in it, Alexander Campbell and Barton Stone. And the goal was simple. We just want to become that church that we read about in Acts chapter 2. We want to go back to that simple, just being devoted to the Word of God, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
And as churches of Christ, that's our roots. We are a part of that restoration movement. Which is why, if this is your first time in one of our gatherings, you may notice it's a very simple gathering. Lifting our voices together, breaking the bread, sharing in the word together, and just loving one another. That's our goal, is to just try to be like that church that we read about. And that's what we want to continue to do as a body of believers, is we want to restore the practices of that early church. But let me share something with you this morning. We don't want to just restore the practices of the Acts 2 church. We must restore the devotion from the Acts 2 church. Now listen to me, devotion is linked to emotion. You cannot be devoted without getting in your emotions. There is no such thing as emotionless passion. You cannot be passionate without displaying some type of emotion. That's just simply going through the motions. Now, devotion is not the same as emotion. They are It's more than it, but it is a part of it, which is why Jesus in the very great and first commandment said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your, what does he begin with? Heart. Because it's linked to your emotion. Focus as a church on what the Acts 2 church did, but we want to focus on what they felt. We want to restore that emotion that they felt in the Lord, fully committed, on fire for the Lord, enthusiastic, talking about the things that God is doing. Because when we do, four things will happen. Four things that Luke tells us that they felt, four results of a devotion church that's not only practicing the right things, but that is feeling and is focusing on the right things. Here's what a devoted church will look like. It'll look like people who are filled with awe. I love that it describes that the church was filled with awe. Do you know what it means to be filled with awe? It means that you are captivated and captured by something or someone. Your mind is just blown by what God is doing. You wake up every day going, Lord, I don't deserve this. God, I don't deserve any of this. You come into a worship gathering and there's no way you can go through, through the motions because you're worshiping the God who has given you everything. And your heart is just overwhelmed day after day, moment after moment of the goodness and graciousness that God has poured out on you. That's what it means to be captured with all. It means that you're talking about what you're devoted to. If you want to know what you're devoted to, just pay attention this week on what you talk about the most. Whatever you talk about the most is your devotion. You can say God is your ultimate devotion, but if you're not talking about him all the time, he cannot be your devotion, at least not your primary one, because you talk about what devoted to. And when you are filled with awe, not only are you living in worship, but you are talking about him all the time. And we gather together and we want to hear story after story of how God is calling people home, how he's transforming each of us, of the life we were before Jesus to the life we are now in Jesus and who he's changing us to be. And it just causes us, thank you, Lord, is amazing. That's what it means to be filled with awe. The second thing that you see in a devoted church is you just see this radical generosity just flowing everywhere. They're selling possessions. They're selling land. They're taking care of everyone. In Acts chapter 6, you read about these widows who were being neglected in the daily distribution of food, which 
don't need to overlook, they had already begun like a Meals on Wheels program practically to provide for those who were without because they recognized that there were people who were struggling. And many of them recognized, I have extra and I can give. This wasn't socialism. Acts chapter 2 through 6 is not the go-to texts say, see, socialism works. Socialism does not work because if someone comes to you and takes from you and you don't want them to, that doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work with children. It definitely doesn't work with adults. But when you are freely giving out of your own generosity and abundance, that's called Christianity. And Christianity works. And so those who have extra, you have an opportunity to bless the lives of other people out of your generosity. And it's all to the glory of God. It's an opportunity to share God's love by sharing a little bit of money, sharing a little bit of food. But not only that, sharing a little bit of energy, giving of your time, giving of your love and patience, and even giving of your forgiveness. Devoted churches are overflowing in generosity but they're also experiencing unity. You've seen it in the sports world. You've seen it at work. You've seen it in school. You've seen it in different areas of your life. When a group of people come together and they are united, they're unstoppable. And the question is, what is uniting us? What brings us together? It's simply the blood of Jesus. That's what unites us together. And that type of unity is one that, goes beyond racial barriers, economic barriers, uh, situations and experiences in life that would normally separate us, that brings us together. Because we are blood family, brought together by the blood of Jesus. Listen to me, church. We're approaching another election cycle. It's going to be a highly divisive year. It's already been and will continue to be. And what the enemy is going to try to do is to pit us against one another, to drive a wedge in our family, to drive a wedge in Christianity over politics. First and foremost, Jesus is king, and he is the only one who deserves our utmost allegiance. Number two, God is still reigning on his throne and will provide for his people. Our ultimate trust should be in him. And our ultimate goal over the next 11 months should be to maintain that unity found in the Holy Spirit. And that will happen when we're devoted. We are passionate about one another, taking care of one another, not allowing the things of of the world and that are going on around the world to drive a wedge, but to unite us to stand strong. Unity is not uniformity because we're all different. We're all at different stages of faith. We all come from different situations in life, but we're brought together by the blood of Christ. And it's no wonder that one of the tangible fruit of the spirit is patience because when you get people together, it requires patience. If I'm in the room, I need, I need you to be patient with me, okay? We need to be patient with one another so that we can continue to maintain the unity found in the spirit. And here's the last one. When churches are devoted and we are devoted, people are saved. Why are people saved? It's not complicated. It's because we're constantly talking about what 
Jesus is doing in our lives because we're filled with all and we can't help but talk about the awesome things that are going on in our lives in the life of the church and what God is doing in the world. And we're overflowing with generosity. It allows us to meet people who are in need and to meet a physical need to then have the opportunity and the open door to share with them about their ultimate need because it's really hard to hear that you've got sin in your life that's keeping you from the Lord when you have a bill that you don't know how you're going to pay. And so when pay the bill, it opens a door to say, hey, let me tell you about this ultimate debt that you owe. It's through your sin, and his name is Jesus, and it's been paid on your behalf, and we love you as a human being. We love you as an individual, and we want to share with you about the good news of Jesus. It's from radical generosity of just meeting people's needs. It comes from a unity that shouts through the world when everyone else is being divided, and groups of people are becoming hostile to one another, yet God People stand up in love and throw their arms around one another and passionately pursue one another and say, you are my family. That shouts to the world that there's something different about being a child of God. And in Acts 2, it was attractive to the outside world. It was attractive to those who did not know Jesus and it invited them to come and to see who Jesus is. And when that happens, people are saved. If people are not being saved, it's because we're not devoted. But when we are, we'll see lives that are changed. We'll see at least 13 individuals this year who will surrender their lives to Christ in baptism. Why 13? No, not because it's the lucky or unlucky number. It's because last year there were 12. There were 12 individuals in our church family who were baptized. And if we want to be a goal-oriented church... We want to try to do more, yes? And so we want to see people's lives being changed and saved by Jesus. That's what happens when the church is devoted. I want to leave you with this quote and then share with you a couple of things that are going to happen this year. One author said, one powerful lesson we can learn from the devotion of the believers is that people who are unified by a common cause and are willing to dedicate all they have to that vision are a force that is hard to stop. Two examples for you. Number one, do you remember back in the late 1700s, a group of patriots came together and were united by a common cause of bringing about the freedom of this great country. And through the American Revolution, they overcame overwhelming odds and won their victory. Number two are Taylor Swift fans. Have you noticed Taylor Swift fans? They're all over the place. They're unstoppable. We just need to watch out. It's crazy, crazy. Here's some things that are going to, Lord willing, are going to happen this year because we don't want this to just be a theme that we just put up on the screen on the first Sunday of January and then just kind of randomly refer to it throughout the year. This is going to be a theme that runs throughout the entire year. One of the things that I'm going to do in teaching is at some point this year, we'll spend a lesson on each of the four devotions, one of them being today, and then the other three devotions, the other three practices. But then we'll also have a separate multi-week series on that devotion. For instance, being devoted to the word, next week we're going to start a series called Walk Worthy. We're going to talk about what does it mean to Live out the word of God. What does that look like? What is God inviting us to in order to live out the word as we are people who are devoted to the word? In April, we're going to come back to this theme and we're going to talk about what it means to be devoted to the fellowship and talk about how that is more than a meal. And then we're going to have a series where we're going to look at all the different one another texts in the Bible. 
the charges and commands were given to take care of one another, accept one another, love one another, serve one another. And then we'll come back later on in the year, I believe around October, and come back to what it means to be devoted to the table. And we're going to have some special activities that go along with, each, with all of that. And then I believe in November, what it means to be devoted to prayer. And with each devotion, we want to have some type of special event as a church, an activity, a focus, so that we're not only thinking about it, but doing something about it. So in the you're going to hear about an event called Secret Church. where We're going to spend a night focused on and thinking about our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who have to worship together in secret, who are risking their very lives by doing what we're doing now. We're going to pray for them. We're going to do some intensive study through the Word of God. And then at some point later on in the year, we're going to have, uh, probably in the springtime, that event last year that we called Spring Clean Day, Spring Cleaning Day. We're going to spend some time serving some of our elderly and some of our members who need a little bit of extra help getting ready for the spring. And then later on in the year, we're going to have a special service focused around communion, the entire gathering focused on communion, breaking that bread with one another. And throughout that month, encouraging and challenging you just to share a meal with someone else in our church family that you don't know very well. And then when we devote ourselves to prayer, all year long, but in, in a month, in one of those months, we're going to have a special night of prayer in one of our gatherings. And then we're also going to offer special prayer times before our Wednesday night Bible study to just come and spend some extra time in prayer. This is not just a one-week message. This is a yearly focus. And as it was with our shine theme, our live love theme, this is not just something we print on a t-shirt and throw in a drawer. These are the pillars of who we are as a church. These are who we want to be, not just for a year, but as long as we are on this earth. Lord willing, that's what we'll do. But first, what I want to challenge each of us to do, before we focus on anything that we're going to do, there's something that we must all do first. Before we can focus on being devoted to the word and to the fellowship and to the table and to prayer, we must first devote ourselves. Not just to the practices, but to the emotions, to the passion, the enthusiasm, that God is calling us to have. And what I want to do before we offer the invitation is I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us to invite God's Spirit to fill us with devotion, to renew our hearts. Maybe over the last year, your heart has just grown kind of cold. Maybe your fire for the Lord has just died down. I want to pray for you. Maybe you're new in faith and you want to continue to pursue the Lord with all of your heart. I want to pray for you as well. Maybe you've been doing this for a while and you just kind of got caught up in the motions of being a child of God and just showing up and attending and not really focusing on what you're feeling. I want to pray for you as well. I want to pray for each of us that we'll devote ourselves first individually so that collectively we continue to be a spirit-led, 
Christ-centered, unstoppable force. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the opportunity for another year. God, we have no clue what this year holds, but we trust in you. God, we know that you will guide us through whatever challenges may arise. God, we know that you are reigning on your throne. We pledge our allegiance to you and to your son. Father, we want to be devoted people. Father, I ask you to fill each of us with your Holy Spirit. Father, renew our hearts. Convict us when sin is present. God, give us the courage to repent of that, to confess that, so that we can walk closer with you. Father, if our hearts have grown cold, I pray that you would reignite that fire within us so that we would be passionate, fully devoted to you. God, if we have been discouraged, I pray that you would encourage us today. Father, if we have just been going through the motions, I pray that you would convict us. Father, for those that are on fire, Father, continue to fan that flame. We want to be a church that is devoted, that is filled with individuals who are totally sold out and enthusiastic and on fire for you. God, fill us with awe. We want to see people saved. We want to be the church that you called us to be. In Jesus' name we lift this prayer. Amen.